continue back on and talking about family and marriage. And um, I really believe God is speaking things to us and helping us as a people. And uh, again, I'm dealing with the men for a couple few weeks, and then we'll be talking to the ladies a little bit. So this morning, I want to talk about staying on the road. And um, this also comes from a lot of personal experience. But I want to pray and ask the Lord to help me first. God, help me, I ask in Jesus' name. Holy Spirit, come and assist me. I trust in you. Amen. Thank you, Lord. Go ahead and go to the first slide. There's two ditches when it comes to a man exerting his authority in his, as, a, as a husband and his authority in the home. I've discovered there's two ditches. On the one hand, and go to the next slide too, on the one hand is what I call abdication, and on the other hand is what I call abuse. And the object for us men is to stay in the middle of the road to where we don't fall into abdication, which is really passivity or giving up leadership, defaulting on our leadership that God has called us to lead our families and husbands and wives. That's abdication is being passive. That's not being there. Versus the other end, which is being overboard, where we become controlling and we become abusive. There are a lot of expressions of that. So go ahead to the next one. And the next one. I want to start um, by mentioning this comes, this hits close to home. Without um, naming names, uh, Brooke and I come from two different families. One family, the father is more hands off, passive, lets the woman, let the woman lead the family spiritually and in other ways. Great, great man. Loves the Lord. The other family, the other set of parents, the father, the husband there, was strong and abused his authority many times. And the wife was more... She didn't stand up to him. That marriage didn't last, you can guess. So when I'm talking this morning, I'm, I'm going to be sharing probably a few personal examples. And both Brooke and I come from situations that we would call dysfunctional with a big D. And yet they were both families that believed in God and went to church and uh, loved each other and tried to follow Jesus. So let's go to the next one. So it's his close to home. So is this your family? <laughs> Who remembers what show this was from? Father's know, Father knows best, right? And really, it, put, it, put on, it presented a, you know, the perfect family, but it's really not too accurate of where we come from. Go ahead, next one. And then there's this family that came out in the 70s. Who remembers this? Archie. Archie Bunker, and what was his wife's name? Edith, yes. How many people watched this in the 70s? All right. Watch the reruns now, right? Okay. And the next one? Some, some family dynamics. 
<laughs> yeah, love it. I like lurch the best. So go ahead to the next one. Okay, so we, we all understand that nobody here, I mean, there might be an exception, comes from a family that didn't suffer any dysfunction. We all have issues. And, we, and, and fathers and husbands, men in general, struggle with finding that balance of staying on the road without either giving up leadership and authority that you're supposed to carry, responsibility, or going overboard and abusing it. So let's talk about abuse first. What are some ways that a man can abuse his authority? Just throw out, anybody throw out something. Pardon? Yeah, really good one, Justin. Being degrading. Using his tongue to tear down his wife or children. Okay? That's just a really, really, you think it's like a duh, right? But we hear stories of people doing this in our own congregation at times. God calls us to use our tongue to, in Ephesians 4, to build up, not tear down. If a man tears down his wife, what is he doing to his family? He's damaging it, isn't he? He really is. Okay, what's another way that men can abuse their authority? Silent treatment. Ooh, anybody ever heard of the silent treatment or experienced it? We've done that a few times. I've done that a few times. I don't like what she just said, so I'm going to pretend I didn't hear it and go in the other room and get my phone out or watch TV or whatever or grab my book. Silent treatment. What is the silent treatment communicating? It's basically saying you're not important. Your words don't, are not important to me, and I'm going to ignore you because I'm, you have less value than I do, Right? It's very selfish, isn't it? That's what the silent treatment is. My dad was really good at that one. Really good at that one. What's another way to a man can abuse authority? Ignoring. Yeah, and that's kind of like silent treatment, but ignoring, yeah. Ignoring and basically treating that person like they don't exist. It's, it's sending a big message, isn't it? So, and there are many, many more expressions of abuse. Of course, physical abuse is obviously something that is extremely wrong for a believer to, to act in. I actually hit my wife once when I was a young married man. We were fighting, and I was frustrated, and I punched her in the shoulder. And immediately the Holy Spirit said, you do that again, buddy. You are in big, big trouble. And I listened to the Lord. I never touched her again. And I'm really, I'm really ashamed to admit that I hit her. I grew up in a, in a home with an angry dad. And I started out being an angry dad. When we were first disciplining our kids, I just started doing exactly the pattern that I had been modeled and I had experienced growing up. I whipped the belt out and I started blistering bottoms when they were three or four. My wife said, honey, you're acting just like your dad. I had to go to the Lord and say, God, set me free. I have got a pattern going here that I inherited generationally, and God had to work in my life and set me free from that. Okay, go to the next one. In um, Romans 15, we're going to look at an Old Testament passage. Do you guys understand the Old Testament is for New Testament believers? 
It really is. You can't understand the New Testament unless you understand the Old Testament. This verse in Romans 15.4 says that whatever was written in former days was written for our instruction, the Apostle Paul's writing this, that through endurance and through the encouragement of the Scriptures, we might have hope. So if you want some hope, get into your Old Testament and read those stories because they reveal so much of God's character and God's ways. Okay, go ahead. Let's take a peek at Abraham. Remember, they cha- God changed his name, but I always forget, so I just call him Abraham all the way through. In, in Genesis uh, 12, Abraham's, Abram said to his wife, Sarai, remember she was this gorgeous woman, look, you are a very beautiful woman. When the Egyptians see you, they will say, this is his wife, let's kill him. Then we can have her. So please tell them you are my sister. Then they will spare my life and treat me well because of their interest in you. Now you got to understand, Abraham wasn't really lying here. Sarah was his half-sister. Back in those days, there had, hadn't been the uh, command given that you couldn't marry close relatives. So it happened. And he, remember, he was a pagan before he came, the Lord appeared to him. So anyway, he tells, sister, he tells Sarah, you're going to have to pretend you're my sister. Lie, lie for me, right? And so what happens? And sure enough, everyone noticed Sarai's beauty. Sarai was taken into the palace, Pharaoh's palace. But the Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household because of Sarai, Abram's wife. You women should be encouraged by that verse. The Lord sent terrible plagues upon Pharaoh and his household. So Pharaoh summoned Abram. Why didn't you tell me she was your wife? Why did you say she's my sister and allow me to take her as my wife? Now then, here's your wife back. Take her and get out of here. And Pharaoh sent Abram out of the country along with his wife and all his possessions with his tail between his legs, I would say. Go to the next one. So how did Abraham abuse his authority here? Yeah, he asked his wife to lie for him. Is that abuse? You're asking your wife to protect you because you're not trusting God, right? Abraham wasn't trusting God. He was, he was figuring out how to protect his own little hiney, so he got his wifey to lie for him, which exposed her, didn't it? It put her in a place where she was vulnerable. This has happened to me a couple times in a little different way. I've, had, I've been in situations with Brooke where there was some guy um, that was becoming aggressive. And instead, this is years ago, fortunately, instead of stepping up and getting in between and saying, you know what, what is your problem? Go away. I kind of like weaned out. said, honey, we need to go. Or something like that. I don't remember exactly what I did. Oh, I, or I told her, honey, you need to handle it. Tell him to get out of here. Come on, Brooke. Defend yourself. And yet, who was responsible to care for and protect my wife? Me. Now, I'm putting it out on the table today, guys. I'm being vulnerable with you because I want you men to see and to hopefully learn from some of the stupid things I've done. If you 
stand up in the authority God has given you, who's going to fight for you? God is going to fight for you. And thank God, here we see that when, when Abraham weaned out and, and didn't and, and abused his wife, put her, made her vulnerable, that, that God stepped in because his wife trusted God and God trumped Abraham's little plan and did not allow Sarah to be taken in by Pharaoh, except just initially. So what motivated Abraham to do what he did? Fear. If we can deal with the root of our issues of fear, men, and take those to God, we're going to be a lot less tempted to use other people to protect us, to have, be insulation for us. So what did God do to correct, to correct Abraham and protect Sarah? He sent plagues. God, God got their attention in a hurry. God shut the whole thing down, right? And, and he, used, he actually he showed Pharaoh, apparently, what was going on because Pharaoh comes and confronts Abraham and says, what do you, what do you lie to me for? Can you imagine Abraham, the high and mighty man, you know, and Mr. Cool, the wealthy guy, and all of a sudden he's exposed that he was insecure and fearful, and he put his woman out in front of him to protect him. And God had to intervene and protect both of them. And what's crazy, it's not in these particular verses. I, I, I had to edit them a little bit because of space. That God actually told Pharaoh to have Abraham pray for him because he, was a, he said Abraham's a prophet. And he has Abraham pray for Pharaoh, for God to bring healing to his household. And he does. He does. All right, let's go on. Did Abraham learn his lesson? No, he does it again in chapter 20. Can you believe the guy? A little thick. And then his son does it too in Genesis 26. Isaac does the same thing with his wife, Becky. Rebecca. Okay, okay let's go on. All right, what does Jesus have to say about this thing? This is kind of a principle here. In Luke 12, he says, verse 42 through 46, a faithful, sensible servant. Can you say faithful, sensible servant? That's what we want to be. Is one to whom the master can give the responsibility of managing his other household servants and feeding them. If the master returns and finds that the servant has done a good job, there will be a reward. Yeah. I tell you the truth, the master will put that servant in charge of all he owns. But what if the servant thinks, my master's not going to be back for a long time, and he begins beating the other servants, partying and getting drunk? The master will return unannounced and unexpected, and he will cut the servant in pieces and banish him with the unfaithful. The King James says, assign him a place with the wicked. Now, does that sound like heaven to you? No, it doesn't. It's kind of scary, isn't it? We're not sure if it's hell or not, but it doesn't look like heaven. So what are, who are the household servants that you're called that a person is given the responsibility to manage and care for? If you're a husband, it's your family, your wife and kids. That's right. If you're an employer, it's your employees. 
and so on and so forth. You're a coach. It's your team. The people that you have responsibility for taking care of. If you abuse your responsibility, you will have to stand before God. And what will happen? God will bring judgment. And it's really important that we all have an eternal mindset here that's bigger than just this life to know that one day every one of us will stand before Jesus Christ to give an account for the way we have handled ourselves and how we have handled our responsibilities and caring for those that God has put in our, in our, under our responsibility. Okay, go ahead. The second ditch is abdication or ab- to abdicate. This has to do with being passive, checking out, hiding, avoiding. The term is often used in politics about like a a leader that just steps down. Like the emperor of Japan abdicated the throne, okay? That means he just said, "I'm, I'm done, I'm retiring, no more, gave it up. In this case, we're talking about a husband, father, who is basically going, you know what, I'm not gonna deal with it. I don't want to t- take care. I don't want to handle the responsibility that God gave me for my wife and my kids. My wife is capable. I'll let her lead. Is that what the Bible tells us is God's order? No. God calls the men, the husband, the, the father and the family to be the spiritual leader. God looks to him first and expects him to represent him to the rest of the family. Let's take a look at uh, next slide to Adam. Go ahead, Dale. Yeah, there we go. Let's look at Adam in Genesis 3. This is when the, the woman is being tempted by the serpent, okay? Now, first of all, who did God give the order to that, you know, all you can eat from any tree of the garden, just one tree? You know, there's millions of trees in the garden. There's only one tree you can't eat from, Adam. Oh, I just gave it away. <laughs> only one tree. That's got bad fruit. You don't eat that, please. So he gave the order to, and did you think he expected Adam to communicate? You know the big word that starts with C that men are struggling to find? My house, my family is famous for poor communication from men. In fact, I, we have a running joke with my stepmom. You know, if I say, um, Billy Joe, I told dad, she'd go, What? You, told your, you expect your dad to have told me? Oh, I forgot. My dad doesn't communicate. He, grunt, he grunts when he's reading the paper. That's the way it was when I was growing up. He's changed so much. But Adam was expected to pass down the word of the Lord to his wife, right? Honey, there's one tree we can't eat from. Just one. And so one day we see the woman. She meets a snake. And uh, he's a talking snake, and that's a whole different story. Um, And he tells her, hey, God's holding out on you. Uh, You know, it's not really true what you heard, and so on. And eventually we read, the woman was convinced, in verse 6, she saw that the tree was beautiful, that its fruit looked delicious, and she wanted the wisdom it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some to her husband, who was miles away. Where was her husband? What was he doing? Checking Facebook.
Who knew better here? Who was deceived and who knew better? The woman was baffled by the enemy. I mean, he pulled the wool over her eyes. But the man knew better and knew what the consequences were. And did he stop her? Did he say, honey, don't you remember? No. He just kind of like, hey, Sarah, whatever she does, I can't help it. I can't do anything. I'm helpless and weak. Passive. And then he ate it too. No fun only having one person in the family who's dealing with sin. Jump in. We jumped in. Go ahead, next one. At that moment, their eyes were open and they suddenly felt shame at their nakedness. So they sewed fig leaves together to cover themselves. That worked really well. When the cool evening breezes were blowing and the man and his wife heard the Lord God walking about in the garden, so they hid from the Lord among the trees. Then the Lord called to the woman. Oh, I got that wrong. The Lord called to the man. Where are you? What's happened to you? What's going on there, bud? Why didn't he talk, ask the woman what happened? Right. The buck didn't stop with her. It stopped with Adam. The buck stops with me, not Brooke. It stops with Earl, not Eddie. It stops with Trent, not Lana. Right? Justin, not Amber, and so on and so forth. We are called. We are the ones responsible, men. You know, we love that word submission because we think, I have power and authority. Well, guess what? What's the other side of the coin? You have responsibility and accountability. That kind of changes the way we look at submission, doesn't it? And the, later on in verse 16, when the Lord's telling these guys the consequences of what's going to happen, when he talks to the woman, he says, your desire is going to be to control your husband, but he will rule over you. He sets, God sets an order there. I know this is hard. It's hard for me. I'm the guy that feels like I put in my hard day's work. I want to come home and sit in an easy chair and kick back and play with my phone. And God says, you're responsible and you're in charge, so what are you going to do? What is being responsible look like to you today? And I have to go, oh, all right, that's right. i got to get up. My wife is busy doing stuff and she needs help. I can at least get in there and help and do stuff. And when it comes to raising kids, well, we'll talk more about that in a minute. Okay, let's go to the next one. How did Adam act passively? It's kind of a little re review here. How did Adam abdicate? He didn't stop his wife when he knew, he knew better, obviously. Pardon? Yeah, then he joined her. True. How did, how did Eve act as the leader here? She acted on her own initiative here without saying, hey, is this okay? Should I be messing around here? They acted independently, didn't they? It's like two, people, two ships crossing in the night. Ever heard that before? Okay, let's go to the next one. So look at this. They had, they had, in this case, they had a reversed relationship. She was leading and he was following. There's two common scenarios when it comes to abdication. There's a woman who wants to follow a man who won't lead, 
And so she's forced to fill a void. And then the second one is a woman who frustrates her husband's leadership to the point he gives up and she takes over. This kind of summarizes to some degree what I grew up in and what my Brooke, Brooke grew up in. One of us has one of those scenarios, one of us has the other. Either one has horrible consequences, terrible consequences. We're going to talk about that in a minute. Go ahead to the next one. Let's take a look at Abraham and Sarah. Second example here. Genesis 16, 1 through 6. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had not been able to bear children for him, but she had an Egyptian servant named Hagar. So Sarah said to Abram, The Lord has prevented me from having kids. Go and sleep with my servant. Perhaps I can have children through her. And Abram agreed with Sarah's proposal. Now, you've got to remember that this was actually a cultural practice in the culture they were living among. But why was it wrong for them? Anybody? Yes. God had previously told them, be patient, you're going to have kids. And so they waited a while and nothing happened. And then what, what did Sarah decide to do? Well, well, let's read the next verse. Go ahead to the other side. Next, next slide. So Sarai, Abram's wife, took Hagar, the Egyptian servant, and gave her to Abram as a wife. This happened 10 years after Abram had settled in the land of Canaan. So Abram had sexual relations with Hagar, and she became pregnant. But when Hagar knew she was pregnant, she began to treat her mistress, Sarah, with contempt. Next verse. Next slide. And Sarah said to Abram, this is all your fault. I put my servant into your arms. And now that she's pregnant, she treats me with contempt. The Lord's going to show who's wrong, you or me. Abram replied, look, she's your servant. You deal with her as you see fit. Then Sarai treated or abused Hagar so harshly that she finally ran away. Gosh, does this look like a dysfunctional family, huh? Okay, next slide. So how did Abraham demonstrate abdicating and being passive here? Yeah, God had given him a promise, and instead of holding to the promise, he just kind of went along with his wife's new idea, right? Sarah had this idea, we're going to help God. Instead of Abraham saying, honey... We can't do that. We're just going to get ourselves in trouble if we do that. God said He would give us a son. So then, Sarah, Abraham goes along with it. Of course, you know, hey, Abraham's 100 years old. You know, this girl's probably 25. You know, she's probably a babe. And uh, Abraham's going, hey, honey, not a bad idea. Let's try it. And so Hagar gets pregnant. And then it escalates. Hagar get, gets cocky, and she starts being uppity with Sarah. Sarah gets mad because she's feeling rejected and feeling like she's worthless because she hasn't been able to have her own kids. And so she, she, goes, she starts abusing, or she goes to Abraham first and blames him. And then she says, and then Abraham basically, he, again, he's passive. You take care of it. You deal with her. And she does. She deals with this girl abusively, and the girl runs away. And her son, remember his name? Ishmael. And Ishmael is the father of what peoples today? The Arabs. 
at least a good chunk of them. And the Arabs love Abraham's descendants, don't they? The Jewish people. So having an Ishmael had a little bit of an impact over history, didn't it? So, wow. Okay, so that's the outcome. Okay, next slide. Solutions. And I've got to burn through these because I don't want to keep us too late because I'm hungry. Okay, next one. First of all, this is how we get this fixed, okay? First of all, both the husband and the wife have to understand and accept God's order for the home. You've got to talk together. That's called communicating, men. <laughs> I'm talking to myself. And you basically have to say, yes, we're going to do this God's way, okay? The husband is not called to be an abuser. He's not called to be passive. He's called to be the leader. The buck is going to stop with him. He's going to stand before God to answer for the, for the home. It doesn't mean the wife won't be responsible for her behavior and response, but he's primarily responsible, okay? Once you've got that sorted out, I mean, if you, go, if you, don't, if you refuse to, do, go, to go with God's order, None of this is going to work, okay? If a husband says, I'm sorry, I'm not a good leader, I'm not going to do that, you'll have to live with the consequences. Okay, next one. Secondly, you've got to both understand the two kinds of temptations that each of you are vulnerable to. Women are vulnerable to different temptation than men are. Paul says to the, in Ephesians, he says that women need to know they are loved and a man needs to know he is respected. Two different things. And a man needs to know that the woman needs security, needs to know that she is loved, and protected, and provided for. And that he is there, and that he also, that she, that she has his heart. He needs to know that he cannot allow there to be distance emotionally between the two of them. Because if a woman is not loved, and she is not... Her emotional needs and needs are not cared for by her husband. What is her temptation? To look somewhere else. Right? If a man doesn't feel like his wife appreciates and respects him and that she has confidence in him, what's his temptation? Go find someone that will affirm him, right? Okay, next one. So the, first of all, the guy has got to choose to express and act out of his love and commitment to his wife. You've got to determine, this is the woman I'm going to pour into. I'm going to give her my heart. I'm going to stand with her. We're going we're gonna, to we're gonna walk through life together. We're going to finish well. You've got to make that commitment. If you're unsure and you're ambivalent, she's going to know that. She's going to pick that up, and you're going to have nothing but grief. Next, next one. Secondly, he's got to step up and go beyond his fear, his insecurity, and his anger, and press in to trust that God is going to help him. And then choose to be the leader. I meet a lot of men, and I have been this way too, where I've been an insecure leader, and I was afraid to step out and lead because I was thinking it's all going to fall on me, and I don't trust myself. I would think, well, I'm not that great of a leader. I've got this problem and that problem, and therefore, I disqualified myself. I would look at my wife and go, well, she's competent in this area, so I need to just let her do that. When the Lord is calling me to be the leader, 
what I needed to remember and understand is that God, when He calls us, then He also promises to equip us to be what He asks us to be so that we're not hung out to dry, okay? And then you have to choose to lead, man. Next one. Go ahead. The woman has to choose, the wife has to choose to trust God to oversee her husband and not give in to fear. And, and Peter talks about this, and Paul talks about this in a couple other places, that the woman's default emotion is to give in to fear. The, the man's default emotion is to give in to anger. And it's really based on fear, too, to some degree, a feeling of inadequacy. So he's got to trust God's going to help him. She's got to trust that God's going to deal with her husband if, he's, if he gets out of line. If he starts to, to, to abuse her, God is going to help her. That does not mean that there aren't going to be some marriages that have some pain and suffering as you work through all these things. But if you commit yourself to do it God's way and walk with Him through it and keep trying and keep talking, it's going to get better. It's going to become something amazing. Go to the next one, please. And the last one, she must demonstrate her respect for the husband by encouraging him to lead, expressing confidence that he's able to lead, and getting out of the way and letting him lead. We talked about earlier about one of the frustrating situations is when a woman doesn't let her husband lead because she keeps taking over, and he finally gives up. In a lot of cases, I've seen the woman actually blame the husband for not leading when she was basically filling that thing up so full there wasn't any room for him. So she's got to let him lead, which means that if he's not doing something that he needs to be doing, she doesn't just automatically do it. But she lets him fall on his face, and she says, Honey, God's called you to do that. I'm not going to be the man in this house. We'll talk more about women in another week. Okay, next one. Go ahead. What are some possible consequences of a husband abusing his authority? From, what are consequences from his wife? A husband's abusing his authority. What's, gonna, what's a wife going to do? She can leave, but even if she doesn't physically leave, she's going to protect herself some way, right? She's going to create distance. She's going to do something to protect herself from, author, from abuse, right? What are kids going to do? Yeah, they can rebel. They become angry. They internalize. They're not being... Uh, nurtured by their dad, and they become, pardon? Yeah, they blame themselves. There's a whole list of stuff here. You guys are pulling out some really, really good ones. And what is the consequences for a man who abuses his wife? We read about it earlier. In Luke 12, Jesus said, cut him in pieces and assign him a place with the wicked. And of course, that's, that's the big penalty. If he's just a little bit, usually there's, a, there's not as big a penalty. Paul says, I mean, Jesus actually said that he who has abused things really extravagantly will be beaten with many stripes. He who has abused them a little bit will be beaten with few. So God apportions punishments according to the extent of our sin. We don't want to deal with that, guys. I don't want to deal with that. Let's go to the next slide. What are some possible consequences of a husband refusing to lead? What about his wife? What, she, what, what could the wife do if, she refuses, if he refuses to lead? Yep, she may step in and fill the void, which will cause its own problems, won't it? Will he respect her? Will he be angry with her? At the same time he's unwilling to lead, he'll be angry with her. 
Isn't that weird? But it's true. How about his kids? Will they respect a dad who's passive and doesn't lead the home? No, they, they won't. I've talked to my kids, and they said, well, you remember, Dad, when you were letting Mom lead too much. And uh, thank God that God got a hold of me. And then last of all, God will also deal with them. Um, a husband who is passive, God is still going to hold him accountable. So, real five areas where this impacts us. I'm not going to be able to go into detail. Let's look at these real quick. Go ahead. Understanding our spouse differences, communication needs, and how we can partner as a couple. We've got to understand that. Go ahead, the second one. Raising and disciplining our kids. That's a big one. I wish I could. I, I will probably spend a whole message on this one, okay? We'll have to come back to it. Third one. The home environment and gatekeeping. This is Halloween weekend. We've been talking about this. Last week I preached about this. Men, we have an, a responsibility for what comes into our house and what goes out of our house. That's called being a gatekeeper. You guys should write this all down in your Bible. Men, I write down, I am a gatekeeper for my house. God has assigned me responsibility to be a watchman for what gets into my house and what needs to go out of my house. We can welcome things into our home that pollute our home spiritually. We can actually create an environment where demons come into our home. Depending on the things we do, how we talk, the things we watch and read and things like that. That's why every once in a while, Brooke and I look at each other and go, I need to pray through the house again. We could feel it. The peace is gone or we're feeling some weirdness or somebody was there that brought something in with them. And I take my oil out, my anointing oil, and I put a little bit on the lentils of the doorpost, which are the two sides and the top. Just a little bit. I don't want to screw it up for paint job. But I put a little bit of oil on there, which is symbolic of the Spirit of God and the blood of Jesus. And I, and I pray through the doors because doors are for what? Access, right? Things come in and things go out through doors. And so I pray over the doorways and I say, I command every unclean spirit that does not bow the knee to Jesus to get out of my house in Jesus' name. And I plead the blood of Jesus over the door like they did in Exodus 12 where they posted the lamb's blood over the doors. So guys, this is another message, and we have talked about it a little bit. You need to realize, you've got to ask yourself, first of all, is there anything in my house that needs to go? Are there books, videos, uh, games, um, magazines, statues, omens, artifacts? Are there stuff that has demonic roots or witchcraft assignments, attachments to it? Pray and ask the Holy Spirit. He'll show you. Walk through, look at all your books, look at all your magazines, look at all your records, as old people. And, um, and then clean it out and ask the Lord to set apart your home and fill it with His Spirit so it doesn't have other spirits in it. Okay, next one. Finances. This is one we're going to do a whole message on. How do I lead as a husband, as a man who's called to be the, the leader of my home, how do I lead in the area of finances? How many of you know that it's really easy to get controlling with finances because of fear, and it's easy to get frustrated and be passive and let your spouse hang them out to dry, okay? We'll talk about this in another message. And then last one, spiritual environment and church. God calls us to be in fellowship, doesn't he? Hebrews 10.25, and I'm just about done. Hebrews 10.25 says, do not forsake 
the assembling together of yourselves, especially as the day approaches. God calls us to know one another, to be a family, to be in fellowship, to walk together, to serve together, to love one another, and to exemplify Jesus as we go out. But He calls us to, to be together too. And so, men, we are responsible to determine that our family is getting to be in fellowship. Is that church? The kids are in Sunday school, Calvary kids, whatever is going on. And that we all are growing in the Lord and being a part of God's family, the church. And God will hold us accountable for that too. So, I could go on and on and on, but I won't. So I want to close in prayer. Go to the last slide. No, the one before that. Sorry. So how's your bus doing, guys? What you going to do? How's your bus doing? Is it, is it on the center of the road or is it off to the, like that one? Off in the ditch. So as I, as I pray, close in prayer, I want to encourage you, go to the last slide, to um, maybe come up and pray for a few moments here the front before we go eat. So I want to pray with you right now. So God, I just thank you for your church. I thank you for the families represented in this church. There's about 75, 80, 100 families in this church. I know maybe a third or fourth are here today. But God, we want to be a church that pleases you. We want to be husbands and wives and that walk according to your way and your order. And Lord, I pray that you would help us to arrange ourselves under your order according to the Word of God. Father, I pray for the men out here that are hearing my voice right now, God, that you would give them strength and boldness and a trust and, an, and a revelation of your power towards them that they would say, I can be and I am a leader and I am sufficient and I am able to lead my wife and my family because God has called me to be the spiritual leader of my home. And therefore, He's giving me His Holy Spirit to enable me to lead. Father, I pray You'd help each man here, God, if they are like I was guilty of being passive at one point, some points in my life, God, where they can just say, God, I own it. I was passive, God. I, let, I didn't stand up and take my place. Maybe you didn't let your wife eat the forbidden fruit, but you let her do something that she knew she was looking to you for leadership and you didn't provide it. God, I pray for each man that can say, yeah, I've done that, that you'd help each one of us to confess that to you and to receive your forgiveness and your cleansing. I thank you, Lord, that you have forgiven me for the times when I left Brooke swinging in the wind because I just didn't want to step up and be the leader. And then, God, there's a bunch of us here that have also in some way, through either mean words, the silent treatment, physically, emotionally, or other types of abuse, we have abused our authority, God. We have, we have exposed our women. We have put them in a vulnerable place. We have hurt them. We have been mean. We have been selfish. God, I ask that you would help us to think of those things and make sure that we have brought those to you, confessed them, and asked you for your forgiveness, and received your cleansing. God, we ask you would heal our families. You would heal our marriages. And I thank you, God, for each man in this room, God. We are able to stay on the road. And we just confess that this morning, Jesus. I can stay on the road with my God's help. 
And Lord, I pray you'd help each one and that we would become a church that's glorious because of the presence of God in our marriages and our families. And I bless your people now. We thank you for the meal that's coming and we ask that you would bless our fellowship now in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. We got a few minutes, I'm sure, before we eat. So if you want prayer, any of you guys, I will be up here for sure and some others.